Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Dolomite Is My Name, the newest film from Netflix starring Eddie Murphy as Rudy Ray Moore. And I'm happy to be joined by my friends Josh Brown and Daniel Lima to talk about this one. Josh, Daniel, thanks for being here. Thank you. Hey, Josh. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, long time to speak. <laughs> Post-Gemini. Yeah, I told you. Like, we, we, the last movie we talked about was, uh, I'd say, Return to Form of Sorts for a big star, and now we're doing that again. So uh, funny, how that, <laughs> fun, funny how that works out. But uh, Dolomite Is My Name stars Eddie Murphy as Rudy Ray Moore, a comedian slash singer slash kind of do-it-all entertainer who uh, was, you know, just kind of struggling in obscurity in the 70s and then uh, kind of found his groove and became a big sensation as an underground comedian of sorts and then kind of set his mind to uh, taking on the movies after he uh, found a fairly sizable underground audience as a as a comedian creating his Dolomite character. Uh, Eddie Murphy uh, is getting a lot of uh, praise for this movie, which is really cool because, you know, he's uh, been a rather enigmatic figure for some time now, even if he's made a few films in the last five years. It's really just has not done a lot since, you know, getting his Oscar nomination for Dreamgirls back in 2006. So this movie is a pretty big deal for those reasons, given that he is a really big star. Uh, And I'm really glad that Daniel's here today and Josh as well, because I'd say like one of my bigger blind spots just as a moviegoer is black exploitation films. It's just something that like I just was something I just really was never got into or introduced to and not even like, a, oh, that's like a thing white people don't like movies about black people because I do watch movies about black people, but I'd say black exploitation movies are their own unique genre of film and also kind of harder to find, uh, unfortunately. But uh, Daniel is probably the closest thing I know to an expert in that. So, uh, Daniel, I want to go first before we actually really dive deep into this movie. Uh, can you talk a little bit about just your relationship with the genre in general and uh, how you became so fond of it and also what your level of familiarity was with the Dolomite films and Rudy Ray Moore's filmography prior to seeing this movie. Yeah, well, I'm going to admit, I don't remember what was the first Black Exploitation movie I saw. For all I know, it might have actually started with a parody of Black Exploitation, uh, Black Dynamite, 2009, greatest movie ever made. Uh, after that, I went and I started going through all the big classics, you know, Shaft, uh, Sweet Sweet Back, uh, Dolomite, and, uh, you know, gone down, seen some more obscure stuff, The Baron, uh, The Fox, Fox Hunter, is that one of them? Uh, a lot of Fred Williamson garbage. Um, you know, I love this genre. I love what it represents. It was the first in to Hollywood that black people had in America. Uh, they were mostly crime movies, which is what led to the label of black exploitation that they were black exploitation films, sordid and full of violence and killing and hookers and whores and pimps and salaciousness. Uh, of course, this time period had a lot more going on. There were family dramas, there were comedies, there were all sorts of different genres, but we remember the movies like Dolomite and they also have their own merits. Dolomite in particular is well known because it's, you know, not very good. Uh, Rudy Ray Moore was a stand-up comic who created this character of Dolomite, this streetwise, rhyming pimp, mm-hmm. a club club owner type of guy. And, uh, you know, he didn't know how to make a movie. He didn't know how to produce. He didn't know anything about the craft. But, you know, he wanted to make a movie. And so he did, starring this character, Dolomite, that he made famous on stage. It's rife with, you know, 
you know, technical failures and the performances aren't very good. And, you know, it's just generally a not very well-crafted movie. But people have learned to come to appreciate uh, its flaws for, you know, being the result of a passionate man who wanted to create something for people to actually enjoy. Personally, I'm eh on the movie. I think that a lot of it, even though you can take some moments out that are really fun and energetic, uh, there's long stretches of nothing in particular going on in between them. Uh, It's not really all that entertaining to watch now. And I've honestly never really gotten into Rudy Ray Moore's shtick. Uh, Anytime we've gotten glimpses of him performing in like a club in these movies, uh, it's always been like the low point of the movies for me there. I've only seen two. Okay. Uh, Sorry. Can I, can I ask, can I interject with a question? Yes. Uh, So I think another, along with black dynamite, one of your four or five favorite films of all time is the room. Is that correct? Correct. So this this movie has drawn some comparisons to the disaster artist, and you know there's a little bit of a the, the, the movies all of this stuff kind of shares a little bit of DNA with the room because it was about a guy that just kind of put his mind to making a movie even if he didn't necessarily have the talent to do so. So uh, as someone that had those uh, air feelings about Dolomite is about Dolomite as a movie, uh, did you kind of at least? enjoy Dolomite is my name and getting to kind of see someone that kind of went through the same uh, challenges that Tommy Wiseau did to some extent? No. Okay. No, I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't honestly, uh, man, I feel bad because this is a movie that does have its heart in the right place. It's a movie about, you know, a man who had a vision and a dream and, you know, managed to make something work, even though he, most people wouldn't have never let him given him the opportunity to do it in the first place. It's a real ode to that sort of, you know, indie spirit that a lot of these movies encapsulated. And it's an ode to making movies that entertain people rather than having these high minded notions of, uh, you know, whatever the fuck, you know, pretensions and shit. It's just a movie out there to give people a good time. And in a way, so is this movie, but I feel like, the problem here is that it hews so closely to that biopic formula that it ends up losing the very quality that it is applauding the movie Dolomite for. Gotcha. Josh, did the movie work a little more for you or no? See, I came in like very excited about, cause like two of my favorite screenwriters are Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, who wrote the film and who most famously wrote Ed Wood, which is a very similar movie that kind of right. the format for this and disaster artists about an artist who's maybe not gifted in the craft or profession that they've chosen, but because they have this amount of passion for their um, art form, they, you like them anyway, and the movies are sympathetic to them in spite of the lack of talent and the lack of rep in their, um, you know, tarnished reputations that they may have in the culture. I was excited for the movie because of Scott and Larry, because They've written a bunch of movies like I, that I like, such as Man on the Moon and People vs. Slurry Flint, which are about uh, people who have these tarnished reputations that are not, uh, they're near their wells and they're not accepted by society, but they persevere for their own, through their own passions and stuff like that. That's a common theme throughout their movies. And I like those movies. And also they have similar tastes as I do in movies from the 70s and 60s that have been kind of forgotten, like cult items such as Dolomite. So I was excited for them, and I also was excited for Eddie. 
I think everybody here is happy to see Eddie back on the big screen doing an R-rated movie and doing a work of art that, you know, seems like he's actually passionate about and he's not, like, phoning it in, right? right? On that, like, I was a little bit more favorable to it than Daniel was. Like, I liked it, but I do agree with him in that I think Larry and uh, Scott have probably gotten too comfortable with this format that is sort of like by the numbers like it's just not enough to have a character that you know just because it's not a great man biopic and it's about a character that is less um beloved by society it's not enough to like get you through the movie it, despite the fact that i think eddie's pretty good in it and also i think like craig brewer's his direction is fine but it's nothing like the poignancy that Tim Burton brings to like Edward. Okay, well, you made the comment that he's a character maybe less beloved by society, and I, I, I don't, I'm not sure what you mean as far as like compared to who though, you know, like I mean, like, he's not like you know, like I guess like the not like character. not like Larry Flint was like an especially like beloved person. Uh, yeah, no, but that's like their that's their shtick where like they will pick on these characters. Well, they will choose these characters to make to do biopics on that society doesn't necessarily love. Um, in this case of uh, oh, okay, you, okay, you weren't you weren't saying he was more or less lovable than those other people. You were always talking oh, about the common yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay, Just, I'd it, say for the for me then, I, I think I liked it more than you guys, and I think it's largely because of Eddie. And I just really was like you said, I just think that largely did it for me. Just seeing him try and was really cool because i thought he was pretty much up to task and because it had been so long since we really seen him do that and i thought it's just kind of i just like thinking about that how man he's basically been a recluse for most of the last 15 years you know and it was kind of cool that's like oh wow he still kind of has it and i appreciated that but as far as their formula i agree it was familiar but in a way like i think the fact that it was almost like a less difficult uh, story and a less difficult person than a lot of those other protagonists like just made it feel a little different for me in a way and I like those other movies I like People versus Mary Flint I like Man on the Moon and I like Dead Wood and I thought he I thought Rudy Ray Moore in this movie even if it I don't know how accurate it is but I think he comes across as more likable than each of those three protagonists and you know I think I going in I was kind of expecting something that was like you know I don't want to say an anti-hero but maybe someone that like you know, had some more problematic tendencies or someone that like, I don't know, was angrier at the world than it seemed like Rudy Ray Moore was. Whereas it seemed like the way they wrote the character, he seemed a little more positive and more like, man, I just haven't got my break. And while people might be skeptical of him saying that, it seemed like he was more just like very persistent as opposed to like, wow, you have all wronged me. And I thought it was going to be something where we're going to have to spend a long time with this guy like really feeling like he was a victim before he really broke through. And I thought it made it an easier watch, even if maybe... The movie's not seeking the heights that you guys may, may have and expectations that you guys might have had for it, if it's not or meeting those expectations, rather. Well, I got to admit that I got a break from you two here. I thought that Eddie Murphy was, you know, serviceable. But honestly, I appreciated that he didn't go for like an overt impression of Rudy Ray Moore because Rudy Ray Moore is very hard to actually imitate. He just went for I am Eddie Murphy, which eh, it's fine. But also, I feel like the film doesn't ever really make him feel like I don't get a sense of who Rudy Ray Moore actually is and what makes him unique in the culture. Yeah. You know, there's this, you know, he's down on his luck and he, you know, goes and he figures out how to make his comedy work. And then he goes and he does this and then he goes and he does that. And then it's over. I don't, that's, that's a familiar story. 
there's nothing to that character, I feel, and I have no idea how true to life it is, but there's nothing to the character of Rudy Ray Moore in this movie that make him feel like a real person. He feels like just a figure that Eddie Murphy is kind of doing in order to get this movie pushing along. Like, I don't, I, I don't, there's no, it, nothing there. See, I disagree a little bit on the fact that, like, um, he, like, saying that there's no specificity to, like, Rudy Ray Moore and who this character is, because I do think, like, um, there's, like, this sliding doors uh, thing where it's kind of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where, like, Rick Dalton is sort of, like, the parallel to, like, Burt Reynolds, and I feel like Rudy Ray Moore is, like, the parallel to the guy from Sanford and Son, uh, Red Fox, where, like, you could see a world where this character would have been successful, and because... Rudy Ray Moore does there's scenes where he shows his lack of vanity like you know get stealing jokes from homeless dudes where okay I get the sense of who he is he has these band of misfits that are surrounding him and that he's giving opportunity to his friends and stuff like that and he is this you know vaudevillian type comedian who's trying to you know change with the times and you know he is a little bit more taboo than what is being afforded to him at this point in the comedy scene. Like, I get that. I think that description, while not inaccurate, I think if the movie wanted to really explore the, you know, the intricacies of the, those themes, like, I think that would have been a far more interesting movie. But the fact is, all those, all that interesting stuff that you mentioned, which is, I guess, maybe sub-subtextually there, doesn't really get explored because it's on to the next part of his career they want to they want to go on to the let's make a movie part of this movie which i mean and once you get to that part of it there's only so much time to do all the stuff you guys are talking about which i understand maybe there's a way in which this movie delves deeper into all of that i do think there's like a higher bar for maybe just this movie has to meet to really do it for daniel because you already know so much about this stuff and so maybe just rudy ray moore's is gonna feel like a more specific and unique character to, to uh, us. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna admit i don't know that much about rudy ray moore himself as a person all i know is that in this movie i got no sense of who he is as a person either and, and like like my bar for this movie is like ed wood i think ed wood wood does this subject matter better than both dolomite and um uh, the disaster artist. And I think what's kind of missing here is because I feel even though like the script is pretty rudimentary and there's some like, you know, rote lines of, that you've seen in biopics about characters down on the on their luck and trying to rise. I feel like the difference between this and Ed Wood is that you genuinely sense that Tim Burton has a connection to uh, Ed Wood, that he relates to Ed Wood. And so there's a poignancy there where you whereas like I, because this film feels less inspired in its direction than like ed wood like craig brewer directed it which you know it's, it's a fine well-made movie but i don't think there's that personal connection to elevate the material um where i get you know the only person whose connection to the material where i feel like aha there's some insight into this is probably eddie murphy because i feel like they're in another world Eddie Murphy is probably an obscure comedian like Rudy Ray Moore. What about Wesley Snipes, though? Because I actually read something earlier that when he was alive, uh, Rudy Ray Moore actually thought about, oh, there should be a biopic about me someday and Wesley Snipes should play me. So, Daniel, how do you think he felt – how do you think he uh, fit into this movie? Well, he plays that bad Duraville Martin. That's a reference for anyone who's seen the trailer for Dolomite. Um, 
he plays uh, Derva Martin, who was a famous black exploitation actor who was given the opportunity to direct with this movie. I believe it was his first movie he directed. I believe he directed one other. And yeah, I love, I loved, loved, loved Wesley Snipes. Granted, I, I'm, I'm in the bad for Wesley Snipes to begin with. I think he, he's great. He should be the next uh, Indiana Jones, right? That's what I think. I love What's the take? Wesley Snipes. Oh, yeah. I love Wesley Snipes, and he's great. I haven't... He, he doesn't sound or act anything like Dervell Martin at all, but he brings such a personality to that character that he, he, is, he, he does a great job of seeming disgusted with what he's doing. He's just oh, like and, 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 in the whole operation at the same time. Like the, again, like as uh, Daniel was saying, like he does not resemble dirt. Like I look probably more like Dervo Martin than Wesley Snipes does. Um, and I don't really look that much like Dervo Martin. Um, but like he doesn't resemble Dervo Martin, but he brings his own personality and character to him. And like I like Wesley Snipes a lot. Like I feel like you and I are probably both fans of um, White Men Can't Jump, one of the greatest sports movies ever made. And Wesley Snipes is just it's great to see him back, you know, and, and uh, making a character like this feel such so alive. Yeah, since like, he got out of prison, like the only like non-direct-to-video movie he's been in is Chirac, basically. Or direct-to-video yeah, movie. Yeah. And he's good in that, too. Hell yeah. Um, but, like, if this, you know... If this wasn't such a crowded field, like, I think Wesley Snipes would be, like, you know, nominated for Best Supporting Actor in this movie, as he should, because he's terrific. Mm. I mean, this movie has gotten, uh, like, a little bit of Oscar buzz. It seems like maybe it maybe hasn't hit quite to the extent it would need to make that happen, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be upset about it. I, I really enjoyed him in this movie. I was just kind of curious when you made the comment about people having uh, personal connections to this stuff, and uh, I don't know. It, it did seem like he definitely kind of... I don't know, slid into character in a way that maybe no one else in the movie did besides Eddie Murphy. Though I, I like the woman that played uh, Lady Reed too, you know? Yeah, uh, I, I thought she was really great. I am blanking on her name for a second, but I thought she was like the, like I like the whole supporting cast. Yeah, this no, is like, I did like the supporting and cast. And the supporting cast is stacked. You got Snoop Dogg, you have Chris Rock, you have Titus Burgess. You Craig have Robinson. Keith. Yeah, like you have like so many like notable black actors and apparently a lot of them were actually like fans of Rudy Ray Moore, like, uh, Keegan, um, uh, Michael Key, like he said that like on the set of predator, he would just invite cast members to watch Rudy Ray Moore films in his trailer. That's, uh, I don't know how I feel. I've seen predator. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, the thing I, I would say, I, sorry, I just have to say that maybe if they had spent a little more time trying to make a good movie instead of watching Rudy <laughs> Ray Moore films, like we would have actually had a positive experience talking about predator on this podcast last year, Daniel, but yeah. go, See, conti- continue. Josh. Yeah, this movie was taken away from Shane black, but, um, <laughs> That being said, I think what makes this movie watchable, because there are some enjoyable moments, there are some funny stuff. I think what makes this movie enjoyable is, A, that you can feel the love that Eddie and the people who are making this movie have for Rudy Ray Moore. A, they present him pretty sympathetically and not in a way where it feels like a hiography where, you know, it's just, you know, there's no bad qualities to him. It feels like the right amount of sympathy that a movie like this should have for a character, for a person who, you know, hasn't gotten maybe the due that he has deserved over the years. So I think the love for Rudy Ray Moore is what makes this movie watchable. And also, I do think the performances by Wesley Snipes, Eddie Murphy, and the rest of the supporting cast is, is phenomenal. Just seeing, like, Snoop Dogg pop up is great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I wish again. I just I just wish that it was a little more textured, man. I just think that this 
it, it's almost like the inverse problem that Dolomite had, where Dolomite was a movie that was made as pure entertainment, but made not to appeal to a mass audience, but made to appeal to Rudy Ray Moore's audience. I feel like this is a movie that also is made to entertain, but it's a mass appeal. It's meant to placate as many people as possible, so many of whom don't have any familiarity or fondness for this type of filmmaking that is going on in this movie or whatever. So, you know, it just... I don't know, if, but I don't know if it played the movie played it safe in that way and tr- trying to placate people. I mean... I think that it was the safest... I mean, it was safe in terms of, like, hitting the beats of a traditional biopic, necessarily, but I don't think it was, like, playing it safe and, like, we don't want to offend anyone, you know? like No, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, okay. I am not playing those same beats. So what, 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 what does a better version of this movie look like to you, then? I mean, I'm not... Given given what his life was, like, would, do you think it would have been better if it just like didn't even if it wasn't even about the making of Dolomite and it was just about like? Well, the better version there is a better version of this movie actually that does exist. It's called Badass, and that movie is about the making of Sweet Sweetback's Badass song, the black exploitation movie that kind of started the trend back in 1971. Similar circumstances. It was directed by I'm sorry, which one was it? Melvin was Mario it? Mario Mario Van Peebles. Uh, it was about a black man who, you know, kills a cop and has to make it across the, the California border over to Mexico before they catch him. Um, it was an independent movie financed entirely by the man himself. Uh, it's far more well-respected these days than Dolomite, although I like it about the same. And the, uh, the, his son directed, uh, Badass back in 2004, I believe. Um, and he made this movie into kind of a character study of his dad and his relationship with his dad. There is a, there's a lot of that personal connection. There's there. a lot of that personal connection that's there. He dives into the psyche of who this man was. And uh, he, the, the son is in the movie as, you know, a young version of the character. And he has sex with a prostitute, unsimulated, at the age of 12. And, like, the movie does delve into what kind of father puts his son through something like that for the sake of art. It's an interesting, really multi-layered, textured uh, movie that I think this movie would have benefited from that same level of depth. And, like, and also the other thing is, it's like, this reminds me of, like, and I like the disaster artist uh, more than Daniel, but I remember, like, his critique of it was basically, you know, if Tommy Wiseau was making this film, it'd be a wildly more inventive film and probably a little bit more interesting. And I think with uh, Dolomite Is My Name is, like, if you captured the speed, like, sometimes I think with, like, biopics, like, they should be kind of made, like, not always the case, but kind of made as if the person who it's about is making them. And so, like, if Dolomite um, is my name was done in the style of the original Dolomite, which I believe is an absurdist comedy action film that has a bunch of non sequiturs. Um, has a like bunch it, of comedy, kung fu, and titties. It's, it's not as interesting as you're making it out to be, but that's what it's going for. Yeah. Like, if it was done in that style, like, you know, if it, it was constantly kind of, like, breaking the fourth wall and, and entering non-sequiturs and, and being absurd, I think that would, you know, be in the spirit of what Dolom, uh, Dolomite and Human Tornado, the other Rudy Ray Moore movies, are trying to do, and it would probably make this a better biopic that lives up to the spirit of the person it's and here is about. and here is where i have to point out that that movie does exist it is called black dynamite and it is the greatest movie ever made black dynamite is a black flotation movie it is made on 16 millimeter film it is almost entirely like it like the idea of the movie is basically to make dolomite 
but as a straight, straight comedy. And it's wonderful. It's made in the same style. It incorporates a lot of the same mistakes, a lot of deep cut references to the film and other films in the genre. It is, if you're not going to go the route of a deep exploration of who Riddy Ray Moore was, that would be the way to do this movie. And also, like, you know, it's funny, like, um, Eddie was talking about, like, he, when the movie was first pitched, because, like, A, Eddie was a fan of Ed Wood, and so that's why he recruited uh, Scott and Larry to write the film. And they, when they first pitched it in, like, 2004, when, like, Eddie Murphy was still in, like, the Dr. Doolittle phase of his career, um, he reached out to, to, when Rudy Ray Moore was still alive, he reached out to him. And Rudy Ray Moore, like, liked Eddie but, like, would rather go on tour with him than have Eddie, like, portray him in the movie because he thought the only person to capture his essence was Rudy Ray Moore. <laughs> like, if you're going to do a biopic of him. And so, you know, it, it is a kind of hard thing to live up because that, like, wild energy of Rudy Ray Moore is probably an elusive, like, thing to capture on screen. Byron Minns did it in Black Dynamite. I just want to point that out again. <laughs> but I will give credit to the movie. I do like one thing we haven't talked about is I think the costumes of this movie by Rufi Carter, who won the Oscar last year for Black Panther. Um, the costumes are fantastic. Yeah. I mean, normally I'm going to admit that when we start diverging and going like, yo, the costumes in that movie were really good. It's normally an indictment. But here I've got it. It's it's great. It, it, the costumes, the honestly, the whole era, it looks good. See, I get a little this is a weird nitpick. I get tired of like when we depict the 70s on screen, they all have this like um, this like sepia toned like uh, uh, visual look to it. And this movie is no exception. It's just I'm tired of seeing like browns and stuff like it's always like the conventional look of depicting the 70s. So I'm not and I'm a to, fan. To be, to be fair, though, if you watch like, I mean, it looks like yeah, yeah, a lot yeah, of I those know. low it budget, makes, a lot of those low budget L.A. set. Yeah, no, it makes movies. like, look, I, the aesthetic makes sense. So it's not like me, like indicting the film. I just get tired of it because it's always like the go to aesthetic for this. Um, and it just kind of like gets back to like, you know, the inventiveness of the film. And again, like I think, you know, what separates this from the greatness of like Ed Wood is just the fact that. I think the direction, because I, I think even with the script it has, I think it could probably be elevated if there is more of an inventiveness to this material and a more poignancy coming from the director, as there is with Ed Wood, where it's clear like Tim Burton understands this character because he has such a connection to him. I I, I definitely see what you guys are saying, and I mean I don't know I I guess. I, I, sh I should be able to speak a little bit more in detail about Edward than I can. It's only been about five months uh, since I watched it, but I guess I don't know. I, I guess part of what I maybe just did it more for me in this movie was I. I guess I, I did enjoy seeing the making of the movie part of it uh, a little bit more. The sex I, scene is great. I think that's yeah. the highlight of the film. The, the sex scene is also the highlight of Dolomite. It's oh, really? it's fun. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny. I'm sorry. I'm drawing uh, a blank. What's the name of the theater that they had to film in? Um, I guess it's a classic. Uh, it was an old L.A. theater that they have to repurpose because a bunch of homeless people have been living in it. Was it um, the Dumont or something like that? Was it Dun Dunbar or something like that? Yeah, um, yeah Dunbar, I think. Yeah, Dunbar Theater or something like that. So it's kind of cool. They, they, I guess I just like I, – I mean I have no idea where they actually filmed it, but like apparently they just like – I, I, I think that's true, yeah. But like, yeah, I, I agree that the, the best part of the movie is the making of because – that's the stuff that's interesting, how they made a movie like Dolomite. It's like, Honestly, with like no knowledge. I think it gets even more into the weeds on that kind of stuff than it does in like Disaster Artist or Ed Wood, you know? Yeah, I, I, I well, I don't know about Ed Wood, but like, yeah, I, I 
did appreciate that middle section of the movie. The first section, that rise narrative where he figures out how to do his character, I, I'm going to admit I never found that interesting. Granted, I don't really dig Rudy Ray Moore's shtick. So, of course, when I see like a bunch of scenes of him doing his shtick and people loving it, I'm going to stare at the screen thinking, what's so funny? Yeah, I'm not I'm not laughing. At, I'm not fair, laughing at his joke. I'm not laughing at his jokes when I'm looking at that. I'm like when he when he, the first time he does his act in the club and like gets the club owner to all of a sudden like get with it after he'd been telling him, don't do it, don't do it. I mean, he's been making these things like, oh, no, yeah, you're. Your your sister went went so far down. She sucked an earthworm stick, and like it's that's like the, the 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 defining moment of that first set. And I'm not cracking up myself at it, but I still like the way it was done. And he he tells yeah. the band to start playing this beat, and I'm like I'm getting into it, and I'm kind of like almost moving like he's swaying on stage, and I'm feeling it even if I'm not like laughing. Like I I thought that was a pretty well directed sequence myself. And to be fair though, Rudy Ray Moore better comedian than the Joker. Just got to put that out there. <laughs> His jokes are better. <laughs> um, yeah, fair enough. But like, and also like that that section after the making of the movie where he's trying to get it sold. It's a little interesting, I suppose, in the struggle of actually getting your not very well made movie into theaters. But mm-hmm. like, I mean, I gotta admit, the, the, that middle section is the stuff that really where the movie kind of clicked for me. And even then, you know, only so much. I can kind of see that. I mean, as far as just, it seems like the first third of the movie is kind of what really uh hinders it for you and i kind of get it i i I can't disagree that maybe there's more it could have done to get into like what makes this guy tick i did enjoy watching him and i enjoyed eddie's screen presence and i i like the fact that this just seemed like a genuinely earnest hard-working dude and that's part of what i liked about ed wood too it's like how far can you get if you have all the one two but none of the natural talent and that's just an interesting conceit to me and i guess i enjoyed that part of it and I think it's a cool scene when he first meets Lady Reed and they're at the after at the Rona's axe. And I feel like you're, you're getting a little bit of a sense of who he is with how he treats her and how he interacts with her. And it probably needed a few more scenes like that. And I can't disagree if that's hey, you, how, you, how you feel. And there's another scene where I think it's very illustrative of his character. And I think kind of hits at the central theme of the movie is towards the end of the film. They're at the premiere of Dolomite. And it's, you know, even more impressive because it comes after a scene where Wesley Snipes says, I doubt this movie's going to get a premiere. And there's a scene where he meets this little chubby boy and um, and like he's interacting with this fan. And it kind of gets at the point why Rudy Ray Moore is important, because at a time where you don't have this representation of black figures and there's not that many, um, at least like like if you were a black person on screen, you had to be exceptional like Sidney Poitier. So the fact that you had like this outsider figure making it onto the screen and that it is inspirational to a character like the little boy at the movie who's seeing like this R-rated film, I think speaks to what the central theme of this film is, is that, you know, Ruby Ray Moore is this outsider uh, presence that because of his passion and because of his idiosyncrasies and his inventiveness, he could reach out to a community that was like underrepresented at the time. I agree that that moment was good and I would have liked the movie to be more that than what I got. But uh, I also want to point out, though, that that in that moment, I kind of expected a narrator to go. And that little boy grew up to be Tupac Shakur. 
<laughs> <laughs> so that was a little hack. A little hack. A little hack. That was a little hack. It's, effe- it's effective. It's effective, but it's a little hack, and that's kind of. I mean, I thought problem. he was. I thought he was going to give the kid like his seat in the theater and be like, "Yeah, well, I know your bedtime's too late to wait for this two a.m. showing that they're going to have, so you could have my seat." So I mean, I thought it was going to be even cornier than it actually was. So it was kind of a little bit of a pleasant surprise to me that he's like, "I'm not even going to go into my own premiere. I'm just going to like." do something that's like much more strenuous than that so i mean it was kind of a pleasant surprise like with how that scene played out to me but i also can't disagree and if someone says that was a, a little corny at the same time because uh, i mean that's probably something that was just made up for the purposes of the movie if i had to guess not that like and, and, and here's the thing though like i find that like less corny than like when um then the lady like 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 spits out what I just said. Like, oh yeah, yeah. That's oh man, that made that, me so mad. That's like Yo. very like very twenty nineteen. Like you like you know representational. Like, hey, let oh. me stop this movie to tell you why it's so important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, we got it. Yeah, like I think this was a more subtler way of doing that. But you know, I here's the thing: is Eddie's performance necessarily in my five like in my top five favorite of the year? Not necessarily, but I'm kind of just. And maybe this is kind of what's kind of fucked up with the Academy, but like I'm kind of just happy him. He's getting the attention and love, and he is making a move. Like, look, Dolomite is my name. Whatever we feel about it, it's certainly better than Imagine That or Meet Dave, like uh, Mr. Church, which is a movie directed by the guy who made Driving Miss Daisy, which is the last movie Eddie Murphy was in. Um, Wait, like, what? Yeah, look up Mr. Church. It's, 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 oh, it's, oh, 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 I thought, I, I thought you were saying Eddie Murphy was in Driving Miss Daisy. No, yeah, I, I know. It would be I, better. I know what Mr. Church is. I haven't seen it, but I know what it is. Yeah, so I'm glad that Eddie is back doing this type of thing. Um, I mean, because we've been, like, waiting for Eddie's comeback year for a long time. I think we came close in, like, 2011 when it looked like he was going to host the Oscars. And, unfortunately, he put all his uh, chips on Brett Ratner. <laughs> um, Nobody should put their chips on Brett Ratner. Yeah, so and, and it's unfortunate, too, because, like, uh, Brett Ratner was the one who I think was most pushing for the Eddie comeback. Um but yeah, I'm glad that Eddie's back. He's not phoning it in. I like the energy um, that he's having. So if he gets nominated for Best After, which I think he will be, um, which it's it kind of funny because he has a troubled history at the Oscars. Like last time he was there when he lost and whatever. He got pissedish. Yeah, he walked out when Alan Arkin won. Um, God, I, what you, I, I like Alan Arkin. Little Miss Little Sunshine. Sunshine. I never saw that. He's like, he's, like, he's like two scenes in that movie, and they're not like good enough to be like, those I, two scenes should win you an Oscar. I, oh, I, I disagree because I think like he I think he says some really, he does. He snorts some cocaine and says some really nice things to a seven year old girl at, while sitting on the foot of her bed. That's all he does. And like he's the he. No. OK, he is the I know like people like I think people are kind of upset that like Eddie didn't win that year. And like and Eddie Murphy's just, you know, playing James Brown and uh, Dream Dreamgirls. He's not actually playing him, but. Um, Alan Arkin gave the third best supporting performance in Little Miss Sunshine by an actor after Steve Carell and Paul Dano. I think he's the. I th- uh, here's the thing. I think Paul Dano should have probably been nominated that year. Um, I think he has some good one-liners. I think he is like the raunchy comic relief of the film. Um, I think. I think it's he a. He dies five- twenty minutes into the film. Not twenty. He let, he dies okay. in the last twenty minutes. Oh, I, I think you're misremembering. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad I know this now. It's a great movie. You Little haven't seen Little Miss Sunshine? No, I said that at the beginning of this conversation. Oh, I forgot. It's, under- it's so it's it's really good. 
Yeah, it's underrated. And I know that Paul Dano dies 20 minutes no, before no, no, the no, end. No, 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 he doesn't die. It's Alan Arkin that dies. Alan Arkin dies 20 minutes before the end. Yeah. Uh, great film. Great film. <laughs> Unfortunately, it has the reputation of, like, it's your model, like, Sundance, quirky Sundance film. At, 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 uh, at, the, at the same time, though, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. I could talk about <laughs> I could talk, I could talk about Little Miss Sunshine for a, a while. But I'll just say, like, at the same time, well, even if I'm, like, strongly against that Alan Arkin win, it wasn't like I was, like— uh, like turning off my TV, like as soon as that award was given out in protest on behalf of Eddie Murphy, either. Like I, I, yeah. I, I enjoyed him in Dreamgirls, but it wasn't like that's a slam dunk thing either, you know? Yeah, it's unfortunate because like what we really like, it, it would kind of it's kind of like in my view, even if he does get nominated for Dolomite is my name, which I'd be completely fine with and kind of happy if he does. Um, I find it unfortunate that like the two movies that he's getting that he has an Oscar nomination for is dream girls and dolomite is my name when like what we know what is eddie murphy what is his movie stardom when he was the biggest star in the 80s are these raunchy comedies like beverly hills cop or 48 hours where he really is making the movie he's those movies would be nothing without him you know haven't seen so many backwards country fucks in all my life Ooh. I was gonna. Okay, I have. A, I actually have a couple questions that'll tie into the rest of the Eddie Murphy filmography thing in a minute. Uh, but I, 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 before we go to that stuff, though, I want to finish up on Dolomite is my name. Uh, did you? We, we kind of glazed over. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to shout out as far as this loaded supporting cast? I do want to. This is just a tiny little objection thing. Yeah. But there was this weird moment, a couple weird moments with Titus's character. Because Titus's character is gay. Yeah, they, and make, they make it clear, but it's very brief. Yeah, and it, every time he mentions it, like, Eddie Murphy goes, no one wants to hear that shit. And I have no idea how I'm supposed to take that. Is that supposed to be a little bit of an indictment on Rudy Ray Moore as a character? Is that a little knowing, like, indictment on— Eddie Murphy's uh, comedy? You know, Eddie Murphy's comedy, like, his legacy from the 80s? Is that just meant to be funny, weirdly? I, I wasn't sure about all I that. I kind of took it as, like, it's kind of a given that these people in the 70s aren't going to be cool with gay people, but we're not going to, like, go too far down that rabbit hole, but we'll also acknowledge that these people aren't saints. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know how I felt about it, man. It's weird because like, I think the parallel to the Titus Burgess character is the Philip Seymour Hoffman character in Boogie Nights, you know, and I think that's kind of who he sort of like uh, is in the amongst this ensemble. Oh, I don't remember Titus killing himself. No, well, Philip Seymour Hoffman Spoiler doesn't. Alert. He doesn't. Philip Seymour Hoffman doesn't kill himself in uh, oh, Boogie Nights. Somebody else. Does. William H Macy does. Well, which, we're spoiling. Right, which we're right spoiling. now he probably, which probably he. Wants to do so right now after his wife went to prison. I'm gonna put. Uh, on, I'm gonna put on the. I have to put on this podcast like spoilers throughout for movies from 13 and 23 years ago. But don't worry about the spoilers for Dolomite. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dolomite gets made. Dolomite, Dolomite gets made. does. Get yeah, made. you can't spoil Dolomite. Is my name now. There is a great scene. There is a great um, scene when they're like walking almost Abbey Road style. With, oh, yeah, like, that's good. That's where, good. Where it's Eddie Murphy as Rudy Ray Moore and his posse, and they're walking in slow motion, and they're in their like dope uh, Capes costume. billowing in the wind. It's some, yeah. it's some good shit. Yeah. 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 That was a good, that was a good moment. Uh, yeah. I can't, I can't, you know, lie yeah. about that. Okay. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an enjoyable movie. Yeah. So, so that's at least that's that's at least one moment where uh, Craig Brewer had a good visual flourish there. But I will then ask you now. I mean, because we just talked a little bit about you know Eddie Murphy's run in the eighties. Uh, are you, ba- uh, Daniel? Based on your experience with Dolomite is my name, are you now a little worried for Coming to America two next year, which Craig Brewer is also directing? Uh, yeah. Or are you being a I Coming mean, to America fan that you're going to be excited about that? I've never actually talked I'm, to you about Coming I'm, to America. 
I'm not a huge fan. I mean, it's a fun movie. I like it quite a lot. You know, when I saw it, but like, you know, it's it's good. I I'm I'm not enough of a fan that I'm like, oh my god, he's gonna ruin coming to America. Right, right. But um, and keep on, I don't think he like ruined this movie. Yeah, and I don't like, think that this movie is like a disaster or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. It's not a disaster. I think he just did a serviceable job. Like, it's just it's one of those things where like, in terms of the other directors that he has worked with. Yo, we're lucky that it's Craig Brewer helming coming to America. Yeah, but that's a low bar. But like, keep in mind, like, from I haven't this I think probably the first Craig Brewer from I've seen. It seems like he makes very competent movies that people like, like Hustle and Flow and Black Snake Moan. Like, he doesn't seem like a guy who is like a disaster by any means. It's just so like if you're gonna get someone to helm a long-awaited sequel that I don't think anybody really asks for, um. Um, I didn't, then, know, the, I didn't oh, know the same guy that directed Norbit also directed Meet Dave. He's like, made Norbit. And he's like, you know what? I want to work with that guy again. It's <laughs> weird with like comedy actors like Eddie Murphy or um, or Adam Sandler, I was thinking, where they have to like – they have their go-to hacky directors. Like, you know, Adam Sandler movies, you have, like, Frank Caracci um, or Dennis Dugan or something like that. And it's yeah. just, like, Eddie Murphy has, like, you know, the producer of this did all those, like, family films with Eddie. And it's just, like, Eddie, I think we need to get better friends. It's funny, it's funny, that, it's funny that you bring up Adam Sandler because, you know, it's, like, who knows? It could come down in the Oscars for the best actor race and be, like, all right, we want to we – we'll, we'll save, like, one slot for a comedy actor that, like, went for it this year. I mean, it might, it might come down to Adam Sandler. Eddie Murphy and I think Adam Sandler probably just I mean he's shown a little bit more of a tendency to like go outside of that director comfort zone every few years he goes from making his crap to then being like oh yeah I can be one of the best actors working if I really want to do it and Murphy was like Murphy was talking about this in an interview I heard where it's like he was saying about like the great directors like he wants to work with he said like he would love to work with Spielberg or Scorsese and if one of them called like he would do it and I think he came close to it being in Glorious Bastards with like Tarantino had a role for Eddie there, and but since Eddie said like couldn't do it at the time, what like, Eddie had been in Inglorious Bastards though. I think the they, role, they didn't have any black people, so the only way he could get Samuel L. Jackson been, into it was be to be the narrator. It no, would have been the bear Jew. No, the, <laughs> uh, there's the black. I think the original role was the black projectionist that works in. He's too uh, old though. Shoshana's. Yeah, I creepy. Think, I think it's a different care. I think it's a different type of character if Eddie had said right. yes, okay. but if. Since he didn't, it's just like, okay, then this is not an important character. Mm. Um, and there's also that Killer Crow, like, uh, component to the original script. So, but, like, I think the problem with Eddie is that since he is a black actor, I just think, like, you don't, like, you know, like, uh, the directors he mentioned of, like, he wants to work with, like, I don't know. Really Noah, think- Noah Bombach and the Safdie brothers don't make movies about black people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't think, like, it, the pro- one of the problems with Eddie's career is that, like, yeah, like, there's not that many directors that probably have role, like, you know, celebrated directors that, like, make movies where there's obvious roles for Eddie Murphy, unfortunately. But, like, you know, I could see where he would, you know, knock it out of the park, uh, most definitely. Like, Eddie is one of our greatest movie stars. You gotta wonder, though, Spike. Spike, why don't you just pick up the phone they, and call see, Eddie, bro? Why do you, why do you, why, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, why didn't that ever happen sometime in the used, 90s? They used to have a beef. Spike... Um, so, like, this is sort of, like, early 90s and when Spike was just beefing with everybody. Uh, Spike uh, said that Eddie Murphy wasn't casting enough black people in his movies. <laughs> oh. oh, man, I love Spike. <laughs> um, and so, like, I don't I don't think that, like, again, with Spike, 
You'll start being kind of. I love that he he sees coming to America. He's like, not enough black people was in it, this. Movie. Wasn't Boomerang was almost an all black cast too, wasn't it? Yeah, like I think the thing with Spike is like he'll start beefs and then like, um, especially in those days, I think he'll start beef. But I don't think he's a guy who holds a grudge. Like right now, um, in those days, I, he beefed with uh, what's his face last year, um, from Peter Fairley. <laughs> that uh, wasn't justifiable. No, beef. no, no. The guy from Sorry to Bother You shouldn't. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, that one yeah, he Boots started that oh, one. Right, sure, um, sure, sure, sure. He's following in the tradition of Spike. <laughs> um, but, like, no, like, the thing with Spike is, like, I'm thinking of people he's beef with, um, like, Oprah, Tyler Perry. Tarantino. Yeah, and, like, Tarantino's the one that, like, that one. And Sam Jackson, like. Because um, Sam Jackson sided with Tarantino. Yeah, but now they're cool. Um, but like this year alone, so like, you know, he, he beefed with Oprah, um, in the nineties, um, and you know, like Oprah does an interview with him, um, and she like is sort of negotiator between him and Tyler Perry's beef. And now like, uh, Spike is shows up at the Tyler Perry studios, um, in the eighties, he criticized like color purple, but yet there's pictures now of him and Spielberg on the set of West Side Story. Like Spike seems like a guy who starts beef, but like. You can easily, like, you know, invite him over for dinner, and he's like, all right, we're, we're cool again. I don't know. Like, I think Spike likes being part of the establishment. Now, I would never say this to his face. No. No, you never say that to his face. You never say that one of his movies is funny. Those are the two things you can't ever say, or he will fuck you up. Or Driving Miss Daisy deserved best picture over. There's basically a lot of things that you just don't touch when you're having dinner with Spike. Though I think I would mention, hey, what's your thoughts on Green Book? Yeah, I would, I would, that won't come up. That won't come up. It was re- I actually really enjoyed him on the press tour last year, like the way he talked around that, and but like made it very clear how he felt. He was great. Like The whole press tour last year, it was awesome. Um... Oh know. yeah, that DGA panel where like any time Peter Fairley speak, oh, like yeah. Spike is just not paying attention. No one is discussed. Um, he's the only one who can get away with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's always entertaining. Yeah, he's a cool one. Uh, I think about the DGA um, uh, roundtables are going to be this year where. You have Martin Scorsese and Todd Phillips on the same panel. It's just like Scorsese. What do you think of Joker? He'll probably <laughs> is, say is that he not likes cinema. Joker. He'll probably say that he likes Joker. It's the weird thing. He was originally scheduled to produce it. Yeah. Or he'll be uh, like, or, or maybe maybe he'll just be like, ah, didn't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> what if I had to I had to perfect the de aging effects? You know, I was in the booth all day. You know, it'd be funny if he's just like, nah, it's not cinema. It's still not cinema. <laughs> oh man. I'd pay money to like, see. You that. know, like if I really wanted to watch, like I mean, I, he's like, I've seen King of Comedy. Why do I need to go watch Joker? If you just said, so many possibilities, and I know that we will not get one as interesting as what we're thinking. I I don't know. It's just I feel like the DJ, like I, it's always funny what is the combinations, and also when you do have like wild cards, um, like Taika or Quentin, and like and Bong is there. Um, like I also like when gonna... they, they and there's also the weird combinations you can get for the when they do the variety actors on actors interviews. Like, there's a lot of potential <laughs> for like weird shit with that too. Or sometimes oh, it like, makes a lot of sense, and other times it's like, huh. The other best, other weird one is like Greta and Noah Bombeck just like competing against each other. So that would be kind of funny. Um, 
Yeah, I hope, yeah. Little, I hope Little Women's good. I mean, like, I guess they, I had the first Twitter reactions the other day, and they were pretty positive, but there had also been, like, rumors that, like, there had been some problems with it. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that, that it's going to be, like, a fun uh, Oscar campaign. Uh, do you guys Which have any... Joker winning Best Picture. Right. I was going to ask if you guys had any other final thoughts on Dolomite before that, but Josh, Josh <laughs> is now on the record with his Joker Best Picture prediction, and uh, this is going to be on the Internet forever now, so you'll have to live with it. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, the day after the Oscars when Joker wins Best Picture, I'm gonna be I'm like I called it. Now to be fair, like you know, I also said Welcome Tomorrow was gonna win last year, uh, but you know, we can't all pick them off. But I did call the Moonlight one. I did call that. Just letting the record show. All right, uh, Daniel. Any final thoughts on Dolomite? Is my name? It's the same as every other biopic you've seen. A little bit more, but not that much. Go watch Badass or. Black Dynamite for the better version of this movie. All right. I, 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 I will vow now to do watch Black Dynamite before the end of the year. I think I've, uh, I, I've, I've known you for too long to have not like seen that as like a, just a, a Josh thing. Chernobyl, like you haven't do. seen Black Dynamite yet? Wait, you haven't seen Black Dynamite yet? At this point, I might as well just be offended. <laughs> medicine for melancholy for your ass. <laughs> what, you, what you doing? That's fair. God. Yeah. All right. Uh, Josh, any final thoughts on Dolomite is my name? It's good. Uh, it's fine, you know. Yeah. All right. The most tepid it's fine of ever. All right. I, I Again, I think it's better than fine, and anyone that just, like, wants to see Eddie Murphy, like, do well, I think you're going to really enjoy it. And I uh, highly recommend it if you just, like, also like movies about movies because I think it's uh, probably at its best when you're just kind of seeing really – literally how people that have no idea how to make a movie would go about making a movie and i mean it makes sense like daniel said the actual dolomite is not a great film but it's still really interesting to see like what led to that not great film actually being a film that made it into theaters in the first place and uh i think it's a it's just a, it's a fun film about a character that really will you you'll root for and yeah that sounds kind of familiar but i still think it succeeds in spite of its uh familiarity uh Daniel, any other anything else you want to uh, plug or any wild predictions you want to make or anything like that before we sign off? Uh, the only thing I'm going to plug, uh, I might as well plug a couple of black flotation movies beyond that. Yeah. Uh, everyone, go see. You know, the the the, the groundwork is going to be Shaft. Uh, Cotton comes to Harlem. Uh, it's a little arty, but I mean, Sweet Sweetback's badass song. Like, you're going to have to see it. Uh, Fred Williamson did a bunch of movies that are pretty good. Uh, you know, the boss trilogy, he did, uh, harder they come, the harder they come, which was a black flotation spaghetti Western. Um, you've got a bunch of Jim Brown slaughter slaughter's big ripoff, uh, riot back in 68, which is proto black exploitation. And of course my, one of my favorite movies ever made, I consider it one of the top 10 greatest movies ever made. The spook who sat by the door. Oh, by the way, I, I got it wrong. Harder they come is that Jimmy Cliff Jamaican movie. Yeah, no, I meant take a hard ride. Yeah, take a hard ride. Yeah, right? take a hard ride. Um, my the one that I mentioned that I like, he doesn't like is Coffee. Um, um, I'm a huge fan of that. If you want to watch like a black exploitation film, but I second a lot of his recommendations. Yeah, Pam Greer has better movies, in my opinion. Go see Friday Foster. That's probably her best role. Pam Greer got a lot of shit because people just wanted to see her naked and they didn't really care about crafting her character or building a movie around her even though she could really hold it down i think coffee does it but i don't think coffee does it but I friday think... foster she actually gets to play someone who doesn't have to get her tits out at the but like, soonest it, opportunity when it's not being salacious or exploitative which is most of the runtime no 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 that's most of the no runtime. it's not like she, she foxy had, brown is the she better has version. she has like more motivation go watch foxy brown then 
And then tell me that coffee <laughs> treats Coffee's her better. Great. Coffee's a good movie. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, as usual, I'm at Josh Chernovoy on Twitter, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y, and Letterboxd, it's the same thing. Podcast Twitter, Rewind Movie Pod, and RewindMoviePod at gmail.com if you want to email us any questions. Uh, Coming up next, we'll have a podcast with our friend Elijah on both uh, The Lighthouse and The Laundromat. So, everyone... I haven't seen it, but boo. Which one are you you doing? They're both bad. The Laundromat laundromat is shocking. Um, Lighthouse, not so much. But, um, but yeah, they're both bad. That's a bad time. Movies. And you got the Josh Brown take on them. All right, yeah. So uh, I'm a lot harder. Hopefully, on Josh didn't scare you away from seeing them. So you can come and listen to our next podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening to this one, though. And thanks again to Josh and Daniel for joining. We'll see you next time.